Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It's a Monday edition of PFTPM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio. And I did not know that we were going to play that sound. It makes this reference that I'm about to refer to a little more obvious. Since Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears and I own a Bears shirt, I decided to wear it just to demonstrate that Aaron Rodgers and I have a little something in common. I'm a firm believer that we have far more in common than we don't have common. And one of the reasons we have a little friction is we're too much alike. I'll probably never get to find out, but I'll continue to hold that theory. And since I'll never really get to sit down and talk to him, I can continue to delude myself into thinking that I have more in common with Aaron Rodgers than I don't. Good afternoon, Shireen. How are you? (laughs) Well, I didn't get the memo. I would have worn my Bears shirt as well. Not that I have one, but maybe I could have found one somewhere. Well, you should wear a Patriots shirt because the Cowboys now finally own the Patriots after many opportunities and failures they finally have gotten it done we expect to hear from Mike McCarthy the Cowboys coach during the course of the hour not that he's going to be calling into the program he's having a press conference and at some point we'll hear something about Dak Prescott's calf this is one of those and I talked about this a little bit today on PFT live it's one of those where my spider sense is saying it's worse than they're letting us believe it is Dak Prescott almost defiant he could have played I'm fine I promise I'm fine or whatever they have a game in 13 days against the Vikings on Sunday night football after their bye look he's either injured or he's not he's either gonna be able to play or he's not you can only will yourself through so many things if you have a calf injury if there's a strain there if you've ever had that type of injury and I have it's not going to let you do what you want to do and it's only going to get worse if you try so I I I just feel like there's a reason why it's a little bit vague. And I know last night I tried to get some details and I got nowhere. And it was just that weird vibe sometimes when you try to get some information and the way the door is slammed in your face, it makes you think, this isn't just because they don't like me. There's something more going on here. And I felt that last night. Well, I'll go back to the shoulder strain that he had in training camp, Mike. It was the same thing. I'm fine, few days off, be good. Two weeks later, he's still not throwing and not at 100%. Now, I realize that was training camp, and you're not going to force yourself to come back in and play when you don't have to, and now he's in a situation where he's going to have to be forced to play. I think the bye week comes at a perfect time. Is he going to be ready to go in two weeks? Who knows? I saw him limping badly as he's going up the tunnel. I saw him wearing a walking boot at the post-game press conference, and then, Mike, I saw him. Somebody had video when they got back in town, him limping out to his car, and he was not walking very well now I realize he had a boot on you're not going to walk very well when you have a boot on but certainly didn't look anywhere close to 100 percent and I saw Calvin Watkins just a few minutes ago with the Dallas Morning News tweet out it's similar to the injury that Michael Gallup has Michael Gallup's on injury reserve and still out now he said Michael Gallup and Dak Prescott play different positions that's true but Mike you still need your right calf to plant 
to throw a football, and if he's not 100%, which I don't see how he's going to be 100%, this thing still could affect him 13 days from now when they go against the Vikings. And even if you tell yourself, all I'm going to do is take the snap in shotgun, throw it or hit the deck and not try to run on it, it doesn't take much pushing off to aggravate it. And when you're talking about the, the effort you put into throwing an NFL football 40, 50 yards down the field, you do naturally put some lower body pressure into it that could aggravate it as well. So people would say, well, why would they be coy about it? Why would they be, be this way? I, you never know what moves they're trying to make to bolster the quarterback position if they think he's going to be out for a while. And if someone thinks you're desperate, it suddenly costs more than it otherwise would cost, whether you're trying to sign somebody or maybe trade for a guy who's on someone's roster. You know, if, if they know you're desperate, they are going to put their thumb on the scale. I remember when the Vikings were scrambling to find a replacement for Teddy Bridgewater. Everybody knew the Vikings were desperate, so the price went through the roof, and it ultimately cost them a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick to get Sam Bradford, a guy the Eagles were happy to move on from because they wanted to hand the ball to Carson Wentz. So that's one reason, that's one real-world reason why the Cowboys would be discreet. I think Dak is just being stubborn. Everything's going so well. He's playing the best he ever has. He, he yeah. wants happy thoughts. He doesn't want to even entertain the idea that he, maybe he's going to be out for a game or two or who knows how long. From the Cowboys' perspective, it's about being very coy so they can get his replacement. If they need a replacement, if they need to sign somebody or trade for somebody, it's going to cost less if the world doesn't know that he's going to be out for a little while. And we're still waiting. I mean, it's a thing. Usually at some yeah. point on Monday afternoon, Monday morning, around that time, you find out. The injury news, the updates, the MRI, whatever. And we haven't gotten it yet. And just the mere fact that we haven't gotten it yet makes me wonder what we're going to hear. Well, the best news for the Cowboys, Mike, is I think they're a better team, better able to weather the storm if Dak's not 100% or if he misses a game or two. They are better able to weather that storm. Their defense obviously is way better with Trevon Diggs doing what he's doing getting those takeaways that he now has seven interceptions, which is more takeaways than 20 teams have or as many as 20 teams have. So they're doing it on defense. And also, Mike, they have the running game, and it's way better than it was last season. Their offensive line's better than it was last season. So they can weather the storm. They're way up in the NFC East. Even if he misses a week or two, they can still win these games that they have upcoming if they don't. They're still going to win the division. They're still going to get to the playoffs. They're still going to have Dak for the postseason. This is not like last season when in week five he went down for the year with a season-ending injury. So all those signs are good for the Cowboys, but certainly, Mike, with the way that Dak Prescott is playing, they would rather have him in the lineup at 100% rather than starting somebody else or not having Dak at 100%. Cooper Rush is the backup. Will Greer is the third stringer. He was cut by the Panthers earlier this year, and signed by the Cowboys. And as you know, it's something that occurred to me when Mike Golick and I were talking about it this morning. The Cowboys currently have as many wins as the other three teams in the division combined. The Cowboys are going to win right. this division. And unlike last year, they don't have a veteran who can slip right in and play. I don't know. Maybe the Bears would want to trade him Andy Dalton back. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think they would have re-signed Andy Dalton if they wanted him. But last year they had Andy Dalton, but they didn't have the help around him that they have this year. Right. This year they don't have the established backup. But, but... They're going to win that division. Barring some yep. sort of cataclysm, they're going to win the division. So they're going to be the four seed. They're going to have a home playoff game. 
They're going to play the five seed at home. How much higher can they really get on the ladder when you consider the Packers are five and one, the Bucks are five and one, and they hold a tiebreaker over the Cowboys, and the Cardinals are six and zero, oh, and the Rams are five and one? Are you going to get to three, two, or one? Uh, I, I I don't think you're going to. So it's better to have a fully healthy Dak Prescott when January rolls around than to spin your wheels for a spot on the playoff tree that you're probably not going to get anyway because the best teams in the NFC are really damn good this year. Yeah, it's tough in that NFC, Mike, and that's what you're talking about. It's a, it's a great example of why maybe if he's not 100%, you rest him one more week. If you lose to the Vikings, so be it. You're still 5-2 and two and have a chance with some of the games you have coming up. But make sure that he's not going to further injure that calf that we think is just a strain right now we'll see what those mri results bring but get him fully healthy be ready for the end of the season the stretch run and the playoffs that's what's most important this is a team i think that can get to the super bowl but they need 100 percent dak prescott to do that look no farther than christian mccaffrey it's been 24 yeah. days 25 days actually if my math is correct rarely is since he strained his hamstring <laughs> against the Texans on a Thursday night. And, you know, optimistic, won't miss much time, everything's fine, and he missed practice for a while, missed a couple games, and then he's practicing and he's working his way back. All of a sudden last Thursday he doesn't practice. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And then the next day he's put on injured reserve. Well, he tried to push it too hard, obviously. I mean, no one's reported this, but it's common sense. He re-injured the hamstring, and now he's out for three more yeah. games. Well, two more games after missing Sunday a minimum of two more games and at some point when you have a soft tissue injury like that hamstring calf groin quad you just have to shut it down and so many of us have had those injuries not playing professional football but we also haven't had access to the treatment mechanisms that are available for professional football players either but it just takes time and your biggest enemy is that stubborn desire to fight your way through it You can't fight your way through it. You fight your way through it by not fighting at all. You show your will and your toughness and your grit by having the discipline to do nothing and let it heal. And that's the hardest thing to do, especially when, like I said, with Dak Prescott, he's playing the best he ever has in his life, and now he's got this damn calf strain that's going to derail him for a little while. Maybe. He's not going to let it. And in the immediate aftermath of the injury, the last thing he's going to do is entertain the thought that it might. I think that explains a lot of what we heard last night. Yeah, and Mike, how much is he going to be able to practice? I would suspect that he won't practice at all this week, may not practice at all next week, which they would be comfortable sending him out on the field. But, you know, part of what makes Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, his, his ability to get outside the pocket, to avoid the pass rush, to run, and he's certainly not, I wouldn't think, going to be able to do those things. He's going to have to be a pocket passer, as you said, get rid of the ball very quickly. And that's not the Dak Prescott that we've seen this year, the one who's thrown 16 touchdowns, four interceptions, and has 115 passer rating. That's not that Dak Prescott of sitting in the pocket and I'll just unload the ball very quickly. That's not who he is, and that's not why he's done all the great things that he's done this year. So you don't want that thing to linger. You don't want it to affect him. You want Dak Prescott to be Dak Prescott when he's out there. I've never been in a walking boot for any reason. I can only imagine if you are hobbling around with that contraption on your leg, you're doing it 
for a reason. And it doesn't mean you're fine. And it doesn't mean you could have continued to play if the game had not ended on that play when the injury happened. So we will let you know if and when Mike McCarthy has anything to say or if any further news breaks on Dak Prescott over the course of the next hour or technically 48 minutes because we have talked this thing out for the beginning of the program. I haven't talked about my injury yet. Did you hear about my injury? Do you know about my injury? I didn't. No, what was it? I, you, don't, you, you don't watch PFT Live. Shame on you. I, I was running late this morning, and I turned the shower on, and I pulled the shower door shut and didn't get my head out of the oh. way in time, and the shower door slammed into my head, and it's still a little swollen. It hurts when I press it, so I probably shouldn't press it. But it happened like 15 minutes before air. So uh, oh, nice. it was uh, – yeah, it was uh, – I, I milked it for everything. That I, I, and it's, I've been married so long that you have no hope of getting any sympathy at home, especially when it's an injury you inflicted on yourself. It's not, oh, that's, oh, that's, no, it's you dumbass. That's the reaction you get. I don't know how many years <laughs> of marriage gets you to the point where the reaction is you dumbass. 27 is on the other side of it. I don't know how, I don't, so seven, you, six, five, are you I don't con- know. Are you in concussion protocol and did you black no. out like Aaron Rodgers did? Okay. No, no, I did not. I did not. I did. I did use some of the same language Aaron Rodgers did, although he directed his to the Bears fan. I direct just directed mine to the inanimate object that clunked into my head. And I am contemplating removing all shower doors in the house and going back to curtains because the shower curtain cannot, by definition, injure your head. All right. Uh, Bigger Mayfield. He underwent an MRI today. He's going to get a second opinion. That's never a good sign. Second opinion comes when you didn't like the first one. And Baker Mayfield wants to play. And it very well may be that someone is telling him, you probably should go ahead and have surgery. This shoulder is going to keep popping out. It's going to keep getting injured. It's not going to get any better. Baker Mayfield wants to play. He wants to gut through it. He wants to prove he can do it because he doesn't have a second contract yet. And I don't fault him. I don't fault him for wanting to play. But he's dislocated the shoulder twice now in four weeks. It's getting worse, not better. And they play Thursday night. I think Case Keenum better be getting himself ready to play on Thursday night. And by the way, Case Keenum can get it done. So he may not have Nick Chubb. He's definitely not going to have Kareem Hunt, who has the calf injury and is expected to miss several weeks. But Baker had better take care of this thing and do the smart thing and just like with Dak Prescott you get to a point where you have to step away from what you want and you have to do what you need to do yeah Mike you know he partially tore that labrum in week two and he's worn that harness on that left shoulder ever since and I can't imagine playing with the harness and again NFL players are are as tough as anybody I know I mean I, I will never question their toughness and for him to get out there and play through that with a harness on his shoulder I can't imagine that but he's done it. But frankly, he hasn't played very well. He hasn't played up to the standards that the Browns expected. They're now sitting there at 3-3 three and three and facing a must-win on a Thursday night against a team that's beatable. They need a quarterback who can take the ball down the field, something he has not done, ranks near the bottom of passes 20 yards or more. He just hasn't done a good job of that and has thrown only six touchdowns. Case Keenum, to me, is the best option right now. I know Kevin Stefanski said that it will be a medical decision, intimated that it wasn't a performance-based decision, but 
To me, the two go hand in hand, Mike, and Baker Mayfield is not getting it done. It's time for him to sit down, whether it's for this week only or for the season, and let Case Keenum see what he can do with this team. This is a really good team, but they need better quarterback play. Yeah, absolutely they do, and Case Keenum was very good. I know it's been four years ago, but he hasn't played much football since then. He was very good in Minnesota when Sam Bradford, two Sam Bradford mentions, in one program, and we're not even 20 minutes of the way in. But when he got injured week one, after a great game against the Saints, they were getting ready to go to Pittsburgh and play the Steelers week two. All of a sudden, Bradford's knee acts up. It's Keenum the rest of the way, and he was excellent that year, and they made it to the NFC Championship. And they have a pretty good team around the quarterback position. Now, they do need Nick Chubb back, who missed with a calf injury. And Kareem Hunt, as mentioned, is going to be out for several weeks with a calf injury of his own. They've got the Broncos on Thursday Night Football, mini by Pittsburgh Steelers, and at the Bengals. Critical stretch coming up for a team that is 3-3. Three and three. And, uh, hey, as good as the defense was against the Bears and the Vikings, it's been abysmal the past couple of weeks. And I'm starting to think maybe the Browns is the Browns all over again, Shereen. They've got to prove themselves on Thursday night at home and then hope that they can win one or two of those games coming up against rivals from their division uh, because uh, they got a long road. And they'll have a bye week until week 13. So uh, to the extent that some guys just need a little rest, they're not getting it for a while. Yeah, and that's the thing. They are so banged up. Uh, Odell Beckham obviously has that shoulder injury as well. I mean, it looks like the running backs this week will be Dearness Johnson and Demetric Felton. I mean, that's not what they expected when they started the season, but it's what they're left with. And they may have Case Keenum, and they may have to do what they can to will and gut this one out on Thursday night. But, Mike, they need to win a couple of these games uh, to, to stay in the wild card race. We're not even talking about the division. I think they have no chance to win the division. But just to stay in the wild card race, they've got to win a couple games here. Yeah, absolutely. And who would have thought that they would be potentially falling off with the Steelers, who right now have the same record as the Cleveland Browns. And who would have dreamed just a couple of weeks ago that the Browns and the Steelers would be even in the standings? It shows you how quickly it can change. You go from 3-1 and one and 1-3 one and three to 3-3 three and three and 3-3. Three and three. It changes fast in the NFL, and we'll see if the Browns can get back on the horse and get a win against the Denver Broncos. Seattle Seahawks. They have Geno Smith playing quarterback until Russell Wilson returns. It was all they could do to physically restrain him from the field last night. He was actually on the field after that wacky play at the end of regulation when D.K. Metcalf, I think D.K. Metcalf decided he was just going to try to score. He was going to try to blast through the defensive back and score instead of getting out of bounds. Regardless, Wilson was on the field. Then he was out there for the coin toss in overtime. He's coming back as soon as he can. In the interim, Pete Carroll was on 710 ESPN Radio in Seattle today, and he acknowledged that a phone call was made to a certain high-profile MVP in 2015, free agent quarterback. Here's Pete Carroll. Cam, somebody you would talk to. Um, well, just so that you know, we've already talked to him. You know, we've, we've, we're talking to everybody that, that could help us, you know, and, and uh, to go right back to the base philosophy that we always, you know, we uphold here is that, you know, we're going to be competing in every every turn with whoever, whoever would be available. And, and uh, so um, we're on it. How'd those conversations go? All right. Now, you know, I know that what I'm about to say is going to 
piss some people off, and that never really stopped me. Never any done other that time in my life. So why, why start now? If they talked to everybody who could potentially help them, did they call Colin Kaepernick? I'm curious. I, I, I am. And look, yeah. the ship has yeah. sailed. He's never playing in the NFL. They have successfully run out the clock. But if you are truthful and honest when you say we've talked to everyone who can help us, why would you not talk to Kaepernick? Because you're the only team that brought him in for a visit ever. Of all the teams in the NFL, yeah. once he became a free agent, the Seahawks are the only ones that brought him in. And frankly, I think they didn't want him at the time because at the time they hadn't fully eradicated the anti-Russell Wilson crowd that was in the locker room. And there were some guys in the locker room who were not on board with Russell Wilson the way that they needed to be. They didn't want to have, I believe, they didn't want to have Kaepernick there because maybe some of the guys that really didn't like Russell Wilson would start clamoring for Kaepernick to play. It's a different world now, though. And I, look, Geno Smith came into the NFL two years after Colin Kaepernick. Objectively, dispassionately, how could you not say, if you set all the other stuff aside, and I know it's impossible for people to do it, especially the people that don't like Kaepernick. But Kaepernick's better than Geno Smith. He at least, I, he is. He is. He hasn't played in four years, I know. And the longer they manage to keep him on the sideline, the stronger that argument becomes. It's like, well, he hasn't played in a full year. Well, he hasn't played in two years. Well, he hasn't played in three years. Yeah, it's your fault he hasn't. And that supports your argument. The fact you successfully kept him out supports your argument. Anyway, I had no intention to go there. But the way that Pete Carroll answered the question, I, hey, if you're going to talk to everybody who could help you, he's definitely a guy who could help you. Am I wrong? No, you're you're absolutely right. And the question becomes too, Mike, if you've talked to these people and they can help you, that's what you've said, then why aren't you going out and getting someone who can help you? I would argue that Cam Newton's better than Geno Smith, and he made perfect sense to me when Russell Wilson got hurt for the Seahawks. He's now fully vaccinated. He wants to play. Chris Carson's been out. He would help their running game as much as he would help their passing game. I just think he would be an answer. And, yeah, you're right. If you're going to talk to everybody, Colin Kaepernick's probably a guy you should talk to, too, because you are the team that, that had him come in and visit, and you're with the team that showed at least a little bit of interest in him at the time. Cam Newton is only going to work on a team that needs to replace its starter for the rest of the year because he's not going to be the backup. Teams don't want him to be the backup. He doesn't want to be a backup. His opportunity arises when someone loses their quarterback for the rest of the year and decides he's a better option than next man up, plain and simple. And I think that's ultimately why they didn't, they didn't uh, sign him. And, and also, it's a non-conversation if a guy isn't vaccinated. Think about it this way. Teams are calling around because they need people now. And if it's somebody who isn't vaccinated and has to wait five days, we're going to pivot to somebody else. We need someone now, not in five days. We need them now. And, and I think that's, Shireen, one of the big reasons why Newton has gone ahead and gotten vaccinated. Maybe the conversation was a short one last week, and it began and ended with the question of, are you vaccinated? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And, you know, I looked at Cam Newton's age, and it surprised me he's only 32. I mean, it seems like this guy's played forever, and now he's been sitting there since the Patriots cut him. And I do think his vaccination status was a reason that he didn't get signed after the Patriots cut him, but he now is vaccinated. I think at some point he gets a chance again in the NFL. Some point this season, I think he gets a chance again in the NFL. I mean, this guy won the MVP award in 2015, and I know he's not that same quarterback, 
But, Mike, he can still play, and he's still better than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL who are playing now. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And speaking of quarterbacks, uh, we have the news from Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Cowboys. MRI proves that he has a calf strain. Dak Prescott, calf strain. And McCarthy said Dak is, quote, optimistic for Minnesota, end quote, whatever that means. And frankly, at this point, I don't think it means much. Let's see. He's got 13 days to get himself ready to play. And then if he does play, we have to wonder whether or not he will aggravate that injury. All right. Uh, what do you think? I, I'm not going to hold you to it. What's your gut feeling right now? Do you think he's going to be ready? To, I, that's a stupid question. You know what? I retract that question. Withdrawn. I'm going back to my legal days. I withdraw the question because we don't know. And there's no reason trying to guess. We don't know. Let's just wait and see. No. Let's just wait and see. He says he's optimistic. I say... Okay, good. You know, the sport is is premised on being optimistic about things. You never hear anybody say anything like, man, I'm, I really don't think I'm going to be able to play. Or, man, you know, I'm in the worst shape of my life. Everybody's always in the best shape of their life. Every surgery is a success. Every rehab is ahead of schedule. We never hear pessimism from the guys who are wired to be optimistic and confident. So I'm not surprised by any of it, Shereen, and we'll just wait and see. Yeah, first injury report they'll have to have is next Wednesday, I think, right, Mike? They don't have any injury yes. reports on an off week. So it'll be next Wednesday when we'll find out if he practices or not. I'll be surprised if he practices at all next week. I won't be surprised if he plays, despite not being 100%. But I don't see how you get 100% with the calf strain in 13 days. But we'll, we'll see what that holds come Sunday night uh, next week. And I don't know what it takes to be a limited participant in practice, but I have a feeling they'll do enough that they can put him down as limited Probably. as opposed to not practicing at all. And, uh, and then we'll just see what happens on Sunday. That game's in Minnesota, right? Because then there'll Correct. be a question of yep. whether or not he travels, and that'll be on Saturday. He may get downgraded to out, or maybe they'll bring him along, and they'll, they'll run the facade all the way up to 90 minutes before kickoff. All right. Speaking of, of facades, the Miami Dolphins' latest effort to rebuild is not going well. Look, they lost to the Jaguars, team that had a 20-game losing streak, only the second 20-game losing streak in NFL history. The Jaguars beat the Dolphins. The Dolphins blew a 10-point lead along the way. And I don't relish this, but we're not doing our jobs if we're not paying attention to which of the guys who are likely to be gone when the season ends because roughly a fourth of the league turns over its head coaches when we get to the end of the season. And when Stephen Ross has a track record of firing coaches either after a third year or during a fourth year, mm-hmm. here we are in the third year of Brian Flores, six games in, one in five, five-game losing streak. Somebody's responsible for taking Tua Tonga Bailoa instead of Justin Herbert, whether it's Chris Greer, the GM, whether it's Flores. And even if it was a Stephen Ross pick, You've got people on the organization who are in position to say to Stephen Ross, maybe we should take Justin Herbert instead and to communicate that to him sufficiently aggressively so that he would change his mind. Because he ain't going to take the blame for it at the end of the day. He's going to blame his football people. And it's not good right now. And they're lucky, I think, that they didn't have a bye right after this London game because that's the natural spot to make a change. And that spot doesn't come until, I think, week 13 or thereabouts. So, or even week 14, maybe. So there's some time, and they've got four winnable games between now and their bye. And how they do in those four games may, may go a long way toward determining whether or not Flores finishes the season. But right now, it's just not looking good. They've just got to win some football games. 
You talk about how quickly things change in a week, Mike. A week ago, we were talking about Urban Meyer may be gone this week, and I still think there's a chance of that. But now we're talking about Brian Flores possibly being the first NFL coach fired in it because they lost to the Jaguars. Urban Meyer got his first victory. So things do change quickly, but this is a coach who's 16 and 22. They had the 10 wins last season, but it hasn't been good enough. And you're right. Gase was fired after three years. Philbin was fired into his fourth year. Sperano fired into his fourth year. This is a team that hasn't been to the playoffs since 2016, and they expected Brian Flores to get there by now. It's obvious they're not going to do that this season. What they're trying to avoid is a double-digit loss season. They're already halfway there now. So they, they need to be better in this stretch of games, Mike, or I do think there's a chance he's gone before his fourth season. And coaches are always judged in reference to what the generally accepted expectations were before the season began. And for the Dolphins, the expectations were take the next step. The expectations were, in addition to winning double-digit games, get to the playoffs. And right now, five losses. And, And I really don't know what five, six, seven, eight losses will mean with 17 games, but you're getting closer and closer to the point where, as a practical matter, it's done, especially in the AFC where you've got the Bills, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Titans. You've got the Chargers and the Chiefs. Well, the Chiefs. And, hell, the, the, the Chiefs are, are, are swirling around near the bottom, but they're in the process of turning around. They got to 3-3. Three and three. It's just not going to be easy for the Dolphins at this point at 1-5. and five. They got a lot of work to do. But, look, they have a winnable game against the Falcons, even though the Falcons are favored by two last time I checked. Texans coming up two weeks later, Jets two weeks after that, Giants two weeks after that. So they've got four of the next seven games that are winnable. There is the week 14 bye. And if they don't win at least two of those games, and even if they win two, they're going in three and ten. Yeah. Uh, they may have to win three or four of those yeah. games. I don't know. I just don't know because Steven Ross is the guy who's going to make the decision. But we can only judge him based on his history. And his history is fired Sperano during a season, fired Philbin during a season, fired Gase after only his third season, and he took the team to the playoffs his first year. And that didn't last. He didn't get any extra consideration for that, even though he lost Ryan Tannehill for all of 2017 uh, and had to go to Jay Cutler. Stephen Ross, even though he doesn't live in Miami, he meddles in that team, and he is not patient. And uh, it's not looking good right now for the Dolphins. And you know what? I, I know it, Dolphins fans. I know some. And they're, they're, they are ready for a change. They're ready for the next reset. Well, and if it were me, Mike, I'd want to see progress from Tua. That would convince me that there was a chance next year. I don't see anything on this team right now that tells me that this can be a contending team next year. I mean, we, you're right. The expectations were higher than, than where they're sitting right now. But we all thought Tua would be better. He hasn't taken any kind of steps. Part of it is injuries. But question still is, how good is he? We know Justin Herbert is good. He's better than Tua right now. Can Tua be a good NFL quarterback? I've seen no signs to tell me that he can be. And, look, we're 15 days away from the trade deadline. And we know Stephen Ross wants Deshaun Watson. And maybe it's been Chris Greer and or Brian Flores who have resisted because they've got all these assets and they don't want to give up their assets. Well, you know, what have your assets really done for you 
Three first-round picks last year. Tua, Austin Jackson, Noah Igbenogany. You gladly give up those three guys right now and then some stuff to get Deshaun yeah. Watson if the Texans would take those three. That unused draft pick, I, I, I hate. Now, look, at one extreme, you've got the Rams, who will just throw them away for proven players. At the other extreme, you've got these teams that act like each and every one of them is a scratch-off ticket that's got a million-dollar prize behind it. And we know that some teams are better at scratching them than others. And the Dolphins have proven in recent years that they don't make the most out of those scratch-off tickets, so it's better off to use them for a proven commodity. And if that mindset can be busted and you get a sufficient level of desperation from Flores and Greer, maybe that's what saves them. Maybe they need to make this trade to get off the hot seat. I don't know. You know, only the people in the building know and only the people in the organization know. And I know even then they don't know because I don't know that Ross is as overt and obvious about what he's thinking as maybe he would need to be to get the message through to football coaches who are very linear and clear and not subtle. But I, I, I think that Flores and Greer would be wise to think about not insisting on keeping all that stuff they've built up by way of future draft picks if that would mean getting Deshaun Watson and ensuring they'd get through the year and maybe they'd get the next year too and through next year too and maybe they finally bring in the guy at quarterback who can turn the team around. Well, and that's the key, Mike. They haven't had that quarterback. They've tried and tried. Tannehill's proved to be better in Tennessee than he was in Miami. And they, you know, they didn't sign Drew Brees famously, as we, we all know. And he went to New Orleans and had the career he had. And now they've passed up Justin Herbert to take Tua. So, yeah, they, at this point, I don't think you can rely on drafting a quarterback. I think you need a proven commodity, and, and Deshaun Watson is that guy. I know that they would prefer that those 22 civil lawsuits be settled, but if the Texans will offer take less to get him now, then, then maybe they would if those 22 cases were settled. Then maybe you go ahead and do it. I think it's the right move for the Dolphins to get a quarterback if they can, even before the season's over. And it's not the civil settlements as much as it's the criminal cases. If they could have some clarity on whether and to what extent yeah. there'll be a felony indictment, that's when they, I think, would be willing to go forward with the trade. And uh, even then, they, they may decide, you know, it's a short-term unavailability, potentially. It's a long-term acquisition, and it could be the thing that secures the long-term futures of Flores and Greer. Let's take a break. When we return, there were four great games on Sunday. Two of them had fantastic finishes. Two of the guys responsible for those fantastic finishes. I talked to them yesterday. You'll hear from it next on PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Big day. How's it feel? Oh, it feels great. Uh, feels so good to not have to be in the locker room and Telling everyone we're close, we're gonna get it next week. You know, it feels good to actually go and finish the game. So I'm just, I'm proud of, proud of this group. And, uh, what a way to win our first one. 
And we're fascinated by what happened at the end of the game. Was it going to initially be a Hail Mary and then that decision was changed to try to pick up the first down and kick the field goal? Yeah, it was, you know, the first, before they called the timeout, we came out of the huddle, and that's what we had called, take a shot, and, uh, just trying to make a play and come down with it. And then they called a timeout. I guess they wanted to kind of regroup Miami did. I was kind of saying the whole time, like, let's try to get something quick. You know, we had five seconds. Uh, I kept telling Shotty and Ben, I think we got enough time. And then they called the timeout, and we just kind of went to another answer we had. We're trying to get down and call a timeout before the clock expired. And, I mean, five seconds is cutting it close for a play like that. We Usually we like to have at least six or seven. And we just were like, we felt like we had a better shot to, to get the ball completed, get down, call a timeout to put us in a better situation to hit the field goal. Is that a play that you guys have ready to go in a situation like that? Yeah, yeah, that's a play that we work a lot. You know, two-minute situations in practice, we always talk about it. Um, but it's just one that, you know, you usually have a set amount of time that you need. Five seconds, honestly, was less than what we, <laughs> what we needed. But we just knew we had to get down quick. But it was also tough because it was fourth and seven or eight. So you can't get down too quick. you got to get the first down. So LaVisca did a great job of catching it, getting the first down, getting down and saving one second. So, it was, I mean, just really cool to win a game that way. Where were you for the field goal try? Tell me what you do. Do you watch? Do you not watch? Do you stand in a certain spot? Is there some superstition you have? What did you do? Well, no, I was just standing right there on the sideline, right, even with the with the field goal and just, just watching there with Coach Meyer. and uh, We were kind of talking, and you know, I was like, either way, no matter if we make it or miss it, we're going to win this game. So I had confidence either way, but I had confidence he was going to make it made one from further away in the same spot so uh, it's just a cool way to get our first win this year you, you guys have had a couple of crazy games in a row now at what point in the fourth quarter do you start thinking oh god here we go again <laughs> um, I think it did not get like that until uh, you know after they tied it up you know the two-point conversion because like so, you know offensively you know it's all right well then we got to call here and do this again you know uh, going down the field in two minutes the touchdown was impressive. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But before that, you made a catch on third and three, and I've watched it five times. I don't know how you held on to the ball. How, how did you hold on to the football? Um, you know, <laughs> what comes to my head is my, my trainer uh, down in, uh, in Florida, George Bush, do ISO holds. I'm just holding on tight to that thing, man. Uh, it was. I came, I got it. I should have caught it with my hands. I caught it with my body a little bit. Yeah, I did feel him hit it. But um, I knew he was on me, so you know, I just tried to hold on tight. And um, you know, it was a first down. It was a big play. You know, it, was a, it was a tough play, but um, you know, I, I, I confidence in myself to make the. Were you the first option off the line of scrimmage on that? You know, you run across, he rolls out a little bit, and then you spring open? Or was that deeper in the progression? No, I'm the last option. Um, wow. So I think uh, whatever the, the, the formation was, I think it might have been Justin and Adam. I mean, I'm the last option, so a great job by our offensive line. And, tight ends and running backs, you know, whoever was blocking there to, to give Kurt enough time to, uh, to work it back to me. How about on the touchdown? Where were you in the progression there? The touchdown was the second read, so it was coming to, coming to Jets. And uh, if it, he probably threw it to me because the corner probably, you know, stayed on Justin, so um, I gave him a, a nice high-low, um, and the nickel probably came to call. So, um, you know, I knew I could, I could possibly get it, and you know, I just, just executed the play call. You, 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 you threw your helmet off and it reminded me of the, the Stephon Diggs Minneapolis miracle. Were you thinking of that when you tossed your helmet? No, I actually, between me, not between me and you, but I thought of that before. 
um, you know, I'm a, I'm, me and Diggs are good friends. We train together in the offseason. Um, and, you know, when I came to Minnesota, I watched that a bunch of times. You know, just, just being a ball player, you know, having fun. You know, like, I'm score, if I score, you know, I'm going I'm to walk this thing out. I'm going to toss my helmet. So, uh, you know, I was able to get in there. So, you know, I just, I just went on with it. But that's definitely uh, he inspired me by, by that a little bit. So, I got to talk to him. How do you celebrate this one? I don't think it really has sunk in yet. Um, you know, I think it'll sit here when I go see my, my mom out here. But um, I'm going to go home, get on this plane, and, and relax. You know, we got a bye week coming up. But um, I don't know. There, I can paraphrase what Dan Campbell was saying. Shereen, correct me if I'm wrong. He basically was saying Jared Goff sucks, and we're starting to realize that he sucks, and we wish we hadn't traded for him. I think that's what he was saying. Okay. Yeah, good lip reading there, Mike. (laughs) But look, and and Golik and I talked about this earlier, because Golik was curious what I thought about Campbell kind of calling out Jared Goff because usually that's stuff that yeah. should happen behind the curtain. And I said, you know, I don't like it either, but it could be that Campbell's at his wit's end, that he's tried everything. You run out of carrots, you run out of sticks, you got to do something. And my other point was they shouldn't be surprised. They knew what they were getting, folks. They knew. Brad Holmes, the GM of the Lions, came from the Rams. He knew what the Rams thought of this guy. He knew the Rams wished they hadn't given him $33.5 million a year. He knew that the Rams were willing to unload a first-round pick in order to unload the contract. And the Stafford deal worked out so perfectly because it allowed the Rams to, to hide that first-round pick in the compensation package. For Stafford, it made it look far less obvious than when the Texans sent Brock Osweiler and a second-round pick to the Browns. If you just all of a sudden trade Jared Goff plus a first-round pick to some team, you look like idiots. They were able to hide it. And the Lions looked like idiots, frankly, for, for basically perpetrating the grift that the Rams were trying to pull by acting like they have their answer in Jared Goff. No. You got two ones and a three both because you gave up Stafford and because you were willing to take on the Goff cap hit, period. So I don't know why they're surprised. They shouldn't be. No, they shouldn't, and they're going to have a top five pick next year, maybe the number one overall pick, Mike, and they'll draft a quarterback and hope that that's the guy that can lead them to the promised land. So far, that hasn't worked out for them. It didn't work out for Matthew Stafford there. It hasn't worked out for the Lions a long time. We talked about the Bobby Lane curse until that Bobby Lane curse is gone, and I don't know how you get rid of it, the Lions are going to be the Lions. They will continue to be the Lions, and they need to use one of those high first-round picks on a quarterback and hope that not only is the quarterback good, but that they can put enough around him. And I like what Dan Campbell's doing. And maybe I like the fact that he's willing to blow it up, that he's willing to take charge, that he wants guys who have his mindset. And Chris Spielman, don't overlook how important Chris Spielman is to the reshaping the team. All right. Fill in the blank. Finally, I get to it. I know I should have gotten to it a while ago. Blank did not step up in week six. Who's your pick, Shereen? I'm going with the Browns' defense, Mike. We knew Baker Mayfield was hurt. We knew they had a problem at running back with their with Nick Chubb hurt. We knew all that going into the game. So that Browns' defense, which is ranked second in yards allowed, 22 in points, needed to step up and play big. It did not. They have four takeaways this season, which just isn't good enough. They gave up 352 yards. They had no takeaways against the Cardinals. 
They had the Cardinals scored on their first five possessions, and I realized two of those came off of turnovers with zero yards and minus five yard drives that that set up field goals. But they gave up three really long drives in those five possessions that they needed to figure out a way to stop. They didn't get it done. This is a defense with a lot of high draft picks on it, and they just didn't step up to the plate when their offense really needed a mic. 13 points allowed in two games, the Bears and the Vikings. 84 points allowed in two games since then, the Chargers and the Cardinals not getting it done. I'm going to say the Chargers' offense. They went from 47 points against the Browns to six against the Ravens. And one thing that Golick pointed out this morning that uh, I think is significant, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert said that he saw looks from the Ravens they hadn't seen on film. So the Ravens mixing it up, the Chargers weren't ready to take advantage, and they did not step up in what many thought, including me, would be one of the best games of the day. I thought the Ravens would win and the Chargers would cover. I was half right on that. Blank got owned this week. Who's your selection? Well, we spent a lot of time on the Dolphins, so we didn't spend a lot more time. But I do think it was the Dolphins because there's one team in Florida that's really good, as we know, the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. There's two really bad teams in Florida. And now we can say with certainty that the Dolphins are the worst team in Florida because the Jaguars beat them. And I know it was on a last-second field goal. The Dolphins have actually lost three of the last four to the Jaguars. The only one they won was last year. And frankly, Mike, Trevor was better than Tua yesterday, and I think he's a better quarterback than Tua overall. Yeah, I agree with you completely, and uh, this team is in a bad spot now, and they need to come up with some answers because they keep in the same spot over and over again through different regimes, different quarterbacks, and Stephen Ross is not going to tolerate it for long. I'll say the Texans because – Hey, the Colts are coming off of an emotional loss, 22-3 to lead in the second half. They blew it. They had six days to get ready. They looked great. The Texans looked horrible. The Texans, hey, they got their one win. And if the Texans hadn't gotten their one win, I would be wondering where the next win would come from. But they have their one win. Did they get a second win that I missed? They did not get a second win. I'm thinking no, a lot, but like Tyrod's coming back. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll They'll see how long better. he lasts. We'll see how long he lasts. At a certain well, point, a good point, just yes. like with Carson Wentz, you got to say when the guy gets to 100%, it's temporary. And uh, Tyrod may have to change the way he plays a little bit if he wants to stay on the field. The Vikings blank. And there are a lot of words I could put in there after watching double-digit leads in the fourth quarter evaporate in consecutive weeks. Shereen, what would you say? Well, I'm going to say they're a, they're a mystery team, Mike. They can beat anybody. They can lose to anybody. They just played some weird games. Their only blowout was that 30-17 victory over Seattle. Every other game has come down to the end. Two overtime games. They're 1-1 one and one in those games. They had a one-point loss to the Cardinals. They should have won on the field goal. Seven-point loss to the Browns. A two-point win over the Lions. Can beat anybody. Can lose anybody on a given day. They're just a weird team. The Vikings still may not make the playoffs because this reminds me of when Brad Childress was the coach. I used to call it chili ball. He combined the West Coast offense with a cover two defense, and the whole idea was keep it close, shorten the game, and hope for something to go your way in the fourth quarter. Well, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. The end result? You're going to be either seven and nine, eight and eight, or nine and seven. And I feel like for the Vikings, it's going to be seven and ten, eight and nine, nine and eight, or ten and seven. And is that really going to be good enough? 
I don't know. And they got the Cowboys and the Ravens coming up, so good luck with that. The Bengals will what, Shireen? I say the Bengals will make the playoffs, Mike. They're well on their way. They've learned how to win. I think that's very important in the NFL, but they've kind of figured that out. And I think they've passed the Browns now very quickly as Ohio's sweetheart. I think they're the team in Ohio that's going to contend in that division for the next few years. They found their quarterback. They have a great weapon at receiver. This is just a really good football team that's going to get better by the year. And, you know, we both had some fun with the draft that we did before the season, the teams that have no chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> you picked the Panthers, I picked the Bengals. Well, I know because the, the, the Panthers are letting you off the hook. The yes, Bengals are. are putting me on the hook, and they're going to mount me on the wall before it's all said and done. Joe Judge <laughs> and Dave Gettleman will what, Shireen? The Giants not looking I'm good right now. I'm going to say be gone. Out I'm at gonna, home. Yeah. I'm going to say be gone, Mike. I mean, Judge is 7-15. and 15, Gettleman is 16-38. and 38. This is just not a team headed in the right direction, and they don't look like they're ready to win anytime soon. And by anytime soon, I'm not just talking about this year. I'm talking about next year. And I know their expectations were higher than and we talked about expectations. They were higher than the way they've played so far this year, Mike. I think Gettleman will be gone. I think with Judge, it's to be determined. The team loves Judge. But the problem is... Unless you're going to promote someone from within, and I've heard theories that maybe Kevin Abrams would take over as the GM and he'd be fine with Judge. You know, you get this mismatched shotgun marriage between coach and GM where the new GM has a coach that maybe that GM would have never hired, and it's just a matter of time before the GM gets to hire the coach he would hire. That never works for me. I think they both need to go or they both need to stay. And it could be by the time it's all said and done, both go. We're going to go just for a couple minutes. When we return, we'll get you ready for Monday night. Buffalo Bills at the Tennessee Titans. We'll discuss that next here on PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Green Ellis, the running back behind Brady, takes the handoff. Tosses it back to Brady on a flea flicker. Brady looking, throwing long and deep, and touchdown Randy Moss! Action fake, stands in the pocket, has time, now starts to run left, gets rid of the football downfield of the end zone, caught, Randy Moss, touchdown! Stands in the pocket, flares it right, complete the fall on a screen, got the 30, 35, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Kevin Falk! Brady calling signals, play action fake, back to throw, fires it down the right side, wide open, Wes Welker is going to walk into the end zone, touchdown! Slots to both sides. Brady takes the snap. Looks. Rifles it right. Welker. Touchdown. Tom Brady has thrown five first-half touchdown passes. That was 12 years ago today, October 18, 2009. Tom Brady threw five touchdown passes in the second quarter. The Titans wearing the old-school Oilers uniform. You saw the officials there in the old-school AFL officiating get-up. It was snowing on October the 18th. The Titans did not do well in the snow. They lost 59 to nothing, and they finished the game with minus seven net yards passing, Shereen. 
Whew. I don't remember that game, Mike, but it looked a little cold this time of year. A lot warmer uh, tonight, I'm sure, in Nashville. And it was just about a year ago to the day that the Bills and the Titans played in Nashville. The last time they got together, the Bills were three-point favorites, and they lost 42-16. to This time, the Bills are six-point favorites. The over-under is 53 and a half. I think we're all going to think the Bills will win the game, but the Bills stepped on a rake yeah. in Nashville last year. Maybe they'll step on it again, or maybe it's the perfect elixir that Sean McDermott could have pointed to all week so they don't get big heads after beating the Chiefs. It's a reminder, the last time we went to Tennessee, we got our asses kicked, so we better be focused this time. Well, the only possibility that I see that the Titans can win this game is if Derrick Henry goes crazy against that Bill Stout defense and they shorten the game. That's it. They've got to shorten this game, and that's the only way they have to do it. But the Bills' defense, I think, is being overlooked for just how good it is. They're number one in total defense, second against the rush. They're going to be tested like they haven't been all season. I think they hold up against Derrick Henry, and I think they win this game pretty easily, Mike. They've won four games in a row with an average margin of victory of more than 28 points. And if they win tonight, it will mean Ravens, Bills, Packers, and Cowboys started the season 0-4 combined. 0 and, and since then, will be 20-0. and 5-1, all four Great teams stat. will be if the Bills win tonight. And it just shows you week one doesn't mean anything. And for further proof of that... The Dolphins started 1-0, and and they've lost five in a row, Shereen. <laughs> and the Texans started 1-0, and Mike, and we see where they are. Forgot about so, yeah, that. That's right. Week-to-week week league, baby. Week-to-week week league. And it can change so fast. And always throw out the first week because you can find the gas pedal a week too late, and the Bills definitely did. And off they go. Off we go. Enjoy tonight's game. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.